0: Amen. Lord, we thank you and praise you that indeed we have hope. Lord, we have peace. Lord, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the greatest trials of life, Lord, that we know where we're headed because of who we belong to. Lord, we know that in the midst of the trials of this life that we're not alone. And our hope again is not in this worldly system. Our hope is not in our bank account or our own abilities, but our hope is in you. And we thank you, Lord, because our hope is in you. Our hope will never fail. So we love you, Lord, and we praise you. We ask as we go to your word right now that your Holy Spirit would speak. Lord, just soften and prepare every heart. May you be our teacher this morning. May man decrease, that your spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome again to Calvary Chapel. Great to have you here this morning. Good to be back. So last week, I was, it was a blessing. I was able to fellowship at Calvary Chapel in Kauai. Um, that was kind of sweet. Not as sweet as being here, though. Um, it was. It was a blessing. You know, isn't it great when you go? It doesn't matter where you go. When you have Jesus in common, you got everything in common. And there's such a great joy in meeting people that I've never met before and just having that immediate and common bond. The main reason we went was our oldest son, Johnny, is in uh, Bible college over there. He's got three weeks left. Just be praying that he finishes strong. Um, we got home late last night. Um, so that means turn in your Bible to Judges chapter 17. <laughs> Pastor Bill says, just don't make excuses. Just tell him where to turn in the Bible. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll be in 1 John chapter 5 next week. You know what's amazing? The Wednesday night study study at Calvary Chapel, Kauai, is the verses I will be teaching next week. It was amazing. I set down the exact verses. I'm like, that's a divine appointment. I probably should have just taped it and played it this morning. Would have been all set, right? But that's uh, in God's timing. Hey, Wednesday night, Genesis 49... So in the next couple of weeks, we'll be finishing up Genesis, and it looks like the way things are timing out, we'll see that the first Sunday we get into the new uh, church building, we'll be starting the book of Revelation. So that'll be uh, an eventful time there, amen? All right, let me bring you up to speed because we're in the book of Judges, and maybe you're here and you've never looked at the book of Judges before, and as you come to this, it's a direct contrast to the book that precedes at Joshua. Genesis, again, the creation and you know the giving, and we see Moses and all the things that happened there. and then you get to Exodus, and the children of Israel are delivered out of their bondage in Egypt through the Passover, a picture of the cross, the, through the blood of the lamb. Again, that's what the, it's in type and it delivered through the Red Sea. Picture my mind of water baptism. You come to the book of Leviticus, that entire book takes place in about a 30-day period when they're at the, at Mount Sinai where the law is given. By the way, Leviticus is an awesome book. It's in the Bible for a reason, amen? And I would encourage you. The most requested CDs, I believe, I don't know that's still true, at one point, the most requested CDs we had from the radio program from the book of Leviticus. You go from Leviticus where they set at Mount Sinai, received the law from God, and you get to the book of Numbers. Numbers gets a bad rap. It's a great book. You'd think it's just like a math equation or something, but really the book of Numbers would be better called the book of wanderings. It's the time when they wandered in the wilderness because of their disobedience to God. Remember, God had told them to go into the land of promise, but out of fear they did not enter in. They listened to the word of two spies, or ten spies over the two who came back, Caleb and Joshua, and said, look, We can go in and conquer the land It's just as God had said But because of their disobedience They wandered in the wilderness Until that entire generation passed away You get to Deuteronomy It's the second giving of the law In preparation for the generation That had lived in the wilderness That was now going to enter into the land of promise So Deuteronomy was the second giving of the law You then come to Joshua Now remember that Moses Was the one who wrote the Pentateuch, he's, of course the Holy Spirit wrote it through him, the first five books of the Bible. But you'll note that Moses, though a mighty man of God, used mightily by God, was unable to enter into the land of promise. And if you remember why, it's because he disobeyed God. He smote the rock, he misrepresented his nature to his people when he was supposed to speak to the rock. But a great type there, because Moses is a picture, he's a type of the law. And then Joshua his name also can be transliterated, Yahshua, or Jesus. guys, Moses couldn't bring them into the land of promise. Joshua could. Guys, the law can't save us, only Jesus can. Amen? So Joshua, we see them entering into the land, the promise, that all the things that God had for them. They crossed over, remember, two and a half tribes camped outside of Jordan, but nine and a half tribes entered in. And under Joshua's leadership, the children of Israel obediently followed the Lord's commands. They faced the giants. They overcame fortresses and great armies. Only once during the entire reign of Joshua do we see them fail. And it was at Ai after, they, after Achan disobeyed the Lord at the battle of Jericho and had taken some of the riches for himself. So we go through that time of Joshua, a time when they're walking with God, they're being obedient to God. And then we come, sadly, to the time of the judges. What happened was, once they entered into the land of promise, this can happen to Christians. They entered into the land of promise and they became very complacent. They stopped fighting the battles. They stopped wiping out the enemy. Matter of fact, they let the enemy settle in with them. And guys, as Christians, we are not to live a lukewarm, complacent walk. Amen? We're not to live lives where we you know, coexist with the ungodly world around us. Again, we're in the world, but not of the world. We're not to take on its attributes. And sadly, where they were to remove the enemy, they allowed the enemy to camp out with them. So as the territories were being allotted, we see in each case... Instead of it being what God wanted it to be, they missed out. So you come to Judges. And the book of Judges records the struggles that Israel and its various tribes had in taking charge of the territories assigned to them. The big battle was over, the land was theirs, but there were still daily battles that they had to fight. And Judges, unfortunately... During that time, they should have been fighting from from victory, but instead they became disobedient and idolatrous and were defeated time and time again because of their rebellion against God. The period of the judges lasts 400 years. And during those 400 years, you see seven cycles repeated. Seven different times. Here's what happened They start out serving the Lord, they succumb to the sin that surrounds them, they become enslaved by the sin. They become sorry about their sin, miserable, sad, and repentant. And then God, by His grace, raises someone up. He saves them graciously from their sin, only to have them begin that cycle all over again. Does that sound like anybody's life in this room? Amen? you know, we're on fire for God, things are wonderful, we're seeking after Him, and then some time goes by, and we can get complacent in our walk, and before we know it, we're legitimizing sinful behavior, and then we're walking in it, and we're broken fellowship with God, and now we're crying out to Him in repentance, and because of His grace, He restores us, and that's wonderful, But sadly, often we repeat it again. And that's the picture you see in Judges over and over and over. So, Joshua is the people entering the land of promise by faith. Judges emphasizes its own source of enjoyment within the land. Again, instead of entering in by faith, it was a time to continue on and be obedient. But they fell short. Guys, as you and I enter into salvation and the promise of heaven by faith, we enjoy a fruitful walk, but we must... Remain faithful and obedient to the word of God, or we're going to miss out on God's highest. I was talking to somebody last night, had a late night appointment, and talking to someone last night, and while we were talking, I really believe it really comes down to this. Walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The reason we struggle is because there's too much of a stinking us, amen? Amen? If it's marriage problems, if it's rebellion problems, whatever the problem, it's because we get in God's way. We take Him off the throne and we put ourselves there. This is judges all over. You get to the end of it, and basically is what it says about judges. Everyone's doing what is right in his own eyes. Boy, that's the world we live in today. And sadly, it's also a picture of much of the church today. We're doing what is right in our own eyes instead of faithfully obeying God. The word judge there in Hebrew, judges, it means a ruler, a deliverer, or even a savior. It's not just one who maintains justice, but one who delivers the people. Don't think of a guy in a black robe sitting behind a bench. But often there were those who had great heroic deeds, and these judges who came along used mightily by God. There's 17 of them mentioned in this book. Some were warriors and rulers like Othniel and Gideon. Others, one was a priest like Eli, one a prophet like Samuel. And that's a picture of our Savior. He's both prophet and priest and Savior. Amen? And so here's the answer. So we go into Judges. I bring this all up because I want you to understand where we are and what's happening as we come to this morning's text. says in Judges 2.10, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which which He had done in Israel. Judges is a 400 years of dark ages spiritually where they forgot about all that God had done. Lord, help us in this country as we are starting to forget about all that God has done. Amen? We need to get back to being desperate for God and remembering what our country was founded upon. So I titled the message, if you're a note taker this morning, we get to chapter 17. And to bring you up to speed, what has just happened is in the previous few chapters, you saw Samson. Samson was a judge. And Samson was a man called by God. He had the Nazarite vow. There's three things a Nazarite's not supposed to do. Drink alcohol, touch any dead thing, or cut his hair. And when you see Samson, who's supposed to be fighting with battling against the enemy we see him walking through a vineyard if you are if guys if you're called not to drink alcohol you don't hang out at the liquor store amen and samson's walking through the vineyard this is bad idea flee youthful us don't hang out near it and we know that what happens while he's in the vineyard he gets attacked by a wild beast Isn't that interesting? The Bible says, Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Guys, we become real easy targets when we're hanging out where we're not supposed to be. Amen? And out comes the lion, and we know Samson, strong guy, kills the lion. But then he goes out, and he's hanging out with the world, and then on the way back home, typical of a guy, he wants to go see the lion that he killed. I killed that lion, and what it looks like right about now, right? It's a guy thing. And he goes by, and what does he see? A dead carcass of that lion, and in it is honey. Now, this is not appetizing to me. I don't know about you. But for some reason, Samson thinks, Mmm, honey in a dead animal. That looks appetizing. And he goes over, and he reaches down, and he scoops. Now, he's not supposed to drink wine, and he's walking through a vineyard. He's not supposed to touch a dead animal. What does he do? He touches a dead animal. You know why? that it's honey in the animal, because sin looks sweet, but in the end it produces death. Amen? It looked like something that would nourish him and feed him, but it would only defile him. And then we know the story that the last thing he wasn't supposed to do was what? Cut his hair. How'd that work out? Hanging out with Delilah. Wasn't supposed to do that. And then cut his hair. And it, and it ended at the end of the last chapter with him crying out to God and God using him to still bring vengeance upon the ungodly people. So we come to chapter 17. I titled the text Attributes of an Ungodly Society. Attributes of an Ungodly Society. When you get to the last five chapters of Judges, you really get a An up-close picture of all that had happened in that time. You get a picture of of what happens when men walk away from God and give in to their sinful desires. You know, it's bad enough when the world is doing it. It's even worse when God's people are doing it. Amen? And I really want to address us as Christians this morning because I see some things in this text that really speak to us as believers. The nation that had once marched triumphantly through Canaan to the glory of God had now disintegrated morally, politically, and brings disgrace to the name of the very God who had delivered them out of bondage. And so again... We're going to see specifically they had lost their spiritual and moral compass. They were no longer holding on to any kind of godly standard. And we're going to see that, that God has called each of us to maintain that standard that God has for us in our homes, in our churches, and yes, in our nation. When those who God has called to lead others in following Him become more concerned with popularity than purity, with fulfilling the felt needs of men rather than being faithful to God and begin to see ministry as a source of satisfying physical needs rather than spiritual ones, the end result is there's no longer a spiritual compass or authority anymore and everyone ends up doing what is right in their own eyes. So if you're a note-taker, here's what we're going to see in these 13 verses. Attributes of an ungodly society. First of all, parents who are unwilling to exert godly discipline boy do we see that today amen i've never seen so many back-talking kids in my life is that true or not my kids are playing little league i would just i would just be amazed kids telling their parents to shut up i'm like there was one kid i'll never forget him i, I still pray for him on one of my son's teams that was the most belligerent little nine-year-old i had ever seen And he would cuss his dad out, and I mean, it was just brutal. I remember at one point, his dad, you know, walks with a cane. I said, you know, if if you're unable to swat him, I'd be happy to help you out. (laughs) Kid needs one. You know, we're trying to give kids drugs. They don't need Ritalin. They need an SWAT. Amen? They need the Board of Education delivered to the seat of learning with great frequency and intensity. Amen? They won't die. God gave them a nice soft spot back here. It's all right. They'll be just fine. But you know what? Here's the sign, attributes of an ungodly society. Parents become unwilling to exert godly discipline. It's easier to be the cool parent who does nothing. But you know what? You're going to see the fruit of that. Secondly, parents who are unwilling to take spiritual headship. Take the lead spiritually. Be an example to our children. Third, people wanting to worship God in their own way. This is the sign of an ungodly society. We tell God how we're going to come to Him. Guys, you don't make the rules God does. Amen? Who are we to even tell God anything? Amen? How arrogant is that? We learned that from our back-talking kids, saying we could talk back to the Heavenly Father. No, you can't. You can, it won't work. Amen? Not going to be successful. Fourth, Attributes of an ungodly society, a lack of godly fear and respect for his word. Do we need a fear of God again in this nation? We need to be renewed with the fear of God every single day. Fifth, ungodly men and women attempting to legitimize their beliefs and behavior. And then finally, spiritual leaders who are called by men and not by God. Let's take a look. Here at chapter 17, at the attributes of an ungodly society, a reflection of its homes and its churches. And it begins with parents unwilling to exert godly discipline. Look at verse 1. Now, there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Ephraim, an area that was a source of disagreement back in Joshua 17, Manasseh and Ephraim complained that their inheritance was too small. And the reason it was too small is they weren't willing to drive out the enemy where they were. Guys, too often we think God's not using me enough. It's not because God's not willing, it's because we're not faithful. Amen? I've only been gone a week. It, you know, you can say amen, it's okay. I mean, a little response is good, lets me know you're awake. It's a good thing. Amen? amen. There we go. All right, good. Glad to hear it. That old youth pastor me's me is never going to die. You're stuck with it, all right? All they had to do was trust the Lord to drive the Canaanites out. Canaanites out and instead, we see them you know, languishing, not having all that God had for them. And it said there was a man whose name was Micah. Micah means "Who is like Jehovah. That's a great name. Amen? And yeah, you know, a great name, name would point to some type of godly heritage in his past. But as we're going to see from the text, he's not going to be a man who lives a life that honors God but one of moral and spiritual confusion. So what, just, what kind of man was he exactly? He's got a great godly name, but he's not a godly man. Look at verse 2. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me, I took it. What kind of man was he? He stole from his mom. He's a thief. I wish the youth group was in there. If you take stuff from your parents, it's still stealing. Amen? And just to give you an idea, you know, again, he's not just any old thief. He steals from mom. But he took 1,100 shekels. How much is that? It's a ton. As we're going to see later, he hires a priest for 10 shekels. And 10 shekels was the common annual wage of a, you know, a basic laborer. So it's 110 years wages he stole from his mom. 1,100 shekels took them from his mom. 110 years wages for the average person. When this huge sum of money came up missing, Micah's mom was upset, as you can imagine. And so she cursed the one who stole it. I cursed the one who stole it. Now, Micah, a man if he lived up to his name, should have been far more concerned about being obedient to God than a curse from his mom. Amen? But it's the curse from his mom that gets his attention. And he says, I took it. Again, it wasn't the Holy Spirit conviction. It wasn't the examining of the law, thou shalt not steal. Micah was moved to confess his deed and return the money, again, not out of reverence for God, but out of superstition and a fear of his mother's curse. How confused is this young man who fears his mom's curse and takes lightly the Word of God? Today, we're doing the same thing. We're more worried about what men think or what people say or what's popular with the world than the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority, amen? The Bible just flat out rocks and I love it. And it's so good and it's so powerful and it is our guide map for life. And the reason we struggle is we don't spend enough time in it, amen? I know for me, if I don't spend time in the Word of God, I find myself struggling. Now, hey mom, I stole 110 years worth of wages from you. I'm thinking, here comes the Board of Education, right? Here comes some severe discipline from mom. No, look what happens. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. What? Hey mom, I stole the car. Um, and I drove it through a building and uh, did $800,000 worth of damage and your car is totaled and I have to go to court tomorrow and it looks like I'm going, blessed are you of the Lord, my son. Can you believe this response? Instead of godly discipline and righteous consequences for his ungodly uh, ungodly behavior, Micah's mom pronounces a blessing upon him. Man, how incredibly mixed up these people had become. No doubt she thought she was being gracious when in truth her actions would produce long-term harm to Micah. The foundation for a godly nation is a godly family. Amen? It starts in the home. Is it any wonder why that's where the enemy seems to attack the most? If he can destroy marriages... He, you know, his plan, I can destroy the church. Is it any, you know, doubt? Because we see in the word of God that he mentions the family and marriage more than he mentions the church in the Bible. Why? Because it is the foundation of the church. And it's a picture of Christ and the church. Amen? And the enemy wants to attack it. Now, before we get too whipped up on Micah's mom, no doubt many of us here could say that we've fallen into the same trap at times. It's a lot easier just to bless our kids than to discipline them. Amen? It's a lot easier just to give them more stuff to hopefully make them happy or to appease them. But the truth is that it's so important today for us to set the standard at home. Can I tell you that the number one place where our kids should be fed spiritually is in our homes? Amen? The number one person that should be ministering to them is their dad and then their mom. God's called the man to be the spiritual leader. What they get on Sunday and Wednesday ought to be gravy. Starts at home. Too often I hear people say, well, we should do this or this or try to read. Hey guys, amen to all of that, but let's begin in our houses. Micah to me is a picture of a spoiled brat. I stole from you mom, blessed are you of the Lord my son. How confusing is that? And you know, we live in a world today where we are rewarding the wrong behavior. We're condoning sin. Those who the Lord loves, He disciplines. Amen? The Lord loves us enough to discipline us. Parents who are too quick to excuse their children's bad behavior don't like to see their kids have to suffer any consequences for the action, their actions. And the result is they render their sinful behavior as insignificant. The seriousness of their sin itself is overlooked. And you set up your kids for a lifetime of that very same behavior. Again, instead of the board of education, upon the seat of learning with great force and frequency, she buys them a bag of lollipops. You know, Lord, help us to love our kids enough to bring godly discipline. Amen? Because they need it. I praise God that my parents love me enough to discipline me. Because I would not be the person I am without it. Such treatment, rewarding of sinful behavior, can only lead to greater wickedness in the future. And the rod, the Bible tells us, will drive disobedience far from them. We are to show grace, but we are to never excuse or downplay the significance of sin. Amen? Can we do both? Absolutely. Sin is wrong. God is gracious. We respond to brokenness with grace and to arrogance and rebellion with righteous discipline. Amen? Amen? Because that's what you see in the Word of God. So, attributes of an ungodly society. Parents unwilling to exert godly dis- uh, discipline. Secondly, parents unwilling to take spiritual headship. Verse 3. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother had said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand, from my hand to the Lord for my son, To make a carved image and a molded image, now therefore I return it to you. What in the world is that? I had set aside this money for the Lord so that you could make idols. Guys, that doesn't work. So many things wrong with that sentence, we'd be here all day. I set aside this money for the Lord that you might build up something that will keep your eyes off of him And on something else. Now, you need to understand something as we go through this. These idols, in their mind, my personal opinion, were to represent the true and living God. Many believe, myself included, that when they made the golden calf back in Exodus, it was their way to have a tangible thing they could worship in the place of the true and living God. It's not unlike statues and icons that we see today that are only needed for those who have not come to really worship the true and living God. Guys, He's invisible, but He's tangible. Amen? We can have intimate fellowship with Him. We shouldn't need a painting to, to see Jesus. We shouldn't need someone's interpretation. But sadly, they're creating a statue. It shows there's no real intimate fellowship from within. I don't need a statue of Jesus on my dashboard. Amen? I don't need one. Why? Because I've got him in my heart. And it's better. Amen? Take a corner, he might fall off or something, right? That's not the God I want to serve. And sadly, she's giving him a bunch... 110 years wages now she's not going to give them all of it as we're going to see but she's going to give them a lot of money to go out and make some statues to somehow make themselves feel closer to the true and living God guys he doesn't want us to make statues of him but to enter into fellowship with him to draw close unto him to know him in a personal and an intimate way look at verse four Thus he returned the silver to his mother, that his mother took 200 shekels, again about 20 years wages, of silver and gave them to the silversmith and he made it into a carved image and a molded image and they were in the house of Micah. It wasn't given to the temple as you might hope, it wasn't given as an offering unto the Lord. But a carved image, carved from a block of wood or stoned and plated over with silver. A molded image, a figure formed of solid metal and cast into a mold. How confused is this woman? It's only going from bad to worse. She won't discipline her son. And now she's leading him away from the true and living God to the false gods of this world. To follow after something that is tangible instead of the one who is eternal. Wanting what is best for our kids, we can end up purchasing them idols. Things that haven't, they haven't earned or need, often that will take their eyes off of God. You know, as I was studying this this morning, God was really convicting me to again go back and look at everything that is in my home. And if there's anything that is taking our eyes off of the Lord, it's time to pitch it out. But what if we paid a bunch of money for it? How about 200 shekels of silver's worth? How about 20 years wages worth? What should they have done with those things? Pitched them. Amen? Or melted them down and given the money to something else. Again, these were not pagan images, but images that represented to him the presence of God. And again, like those who are looking to a stained glass image or an icon or a statue instead of looking on to the true and living God. The problem is if you need those to relate to God, it shows you have lost a true sense of God in your own life and His Holy Spirit within you. You're trying to find it in these images. It's a mark of spiritual deterioration which is trying to be filled with these images rather than the true and living God. Isn't that the fallen nature of man that wants to make a God for himself? Man has been creating gods since the beginning of time and he continues to do so. Many religious people carve their own concept of God and assume it to be the God of the Bible. Again, that's what Aaron was doing. The Bible tells us, you shall not make for yourselves idols, nor set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figure stone in your land and bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. So here's the situation. you got a son who steals, a mother who doesn't punish, a family of idol worshipers who think they're pleasing the true and living God. That's what's happening. And you've got to remember, these are the people called out by God. These are the people who have been delivered out of bondage in Egypt. This is what happens when we become complacent and we cease to be desperate. Amen? Lord, help us to get back to a place of desperation. Point number three, in attributes of an ungodly society. People wanting to worship God in their own way. Verse five. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod and household... Idols and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest Now that's biblical He builds a shrine in his house You know, one of the things that the world wants to do is make worship of god as easy as possible You know, I how far is that church? We're moving to Scotts valley What that's like four miles from here I'm going to have to get in my car and listen to Christian music and drive all the way out. Oh, forget it. Now you really convinced. Be, you better show up that first Sunday. I'm mean, talking about you. You got people who are blessed. You know, every time I go to India, I'm always brought to the end of myself. You go to church. They have church all day. They don't mess around. You think I talk long. They don't mess around. The guy talks for an hour and a half before the message. You think I'm kidding? The first time I was there, the guy said, I want you to speak two hours on suffering. I'm like, okay. Back to got my Bible out. Well, he got up and talked for an hour and a half. I said, he must have changed his mind. Then he gets done and says, okay, you're up. I'm like, Th- three and a half? They'll be suffering, or, you know. And, you know, here's the point the point is, though, that you had people. Who had walked for miles to come to church because they couldn't wait to hear from Almighty God? And we're living in a time now that let's make, let's just put it on TV. You've got church on the internet now. There is literally—I'm not making this up. There are drive-through church. I'm not kidding. I saw this on TV. You drive up, you hook up the thing, you don't have to get out of your car. That done, drive off. Do I want to have to take up too much of my time to worship God today? Got stuff I got to do. More important than that, I got to go to Walmart or whatever, right? (laughs) Micah sets up a shrine in his house. The word shrine there in Hebrew means house. And Micah made a house inside his house for his gods to stay in. You know what? God has a house. Amen? The Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? The church is not a building, it's the people. Amen? So, he sets up the shrine. Why? So other people can come to his house and worship the the idols with him. Then he makes an ephod. This was a vest-like priestly garment, worn by the high priest as he served in the tabernacle, later in the temple, had 12 gems for the 12 tribes, and and this was a place, uh, you know, this was a very significant So he took these household idols and uh, they're called teraphim and they worshiped in hopes of gaining prosperity and guidance and he consecrated one of his sons to become his priest. He had gods, he had a shrine, he had an ephod, he needed a priest. Well, how about one of the boys? You know what, I can't find someone to intercede on my behalf so let me just draft one of my boys, make him the priest. Guys, we have one great high priest. Only one who can intercede between holy God and sinful man, and His name is Jesus Christ. Amen? No one else, nothing short of that. Only one high priest had been consecrated by God. And the Son is leading who should have been following. There's only one tabernacle. Place of sacrifice for the holy of holies where the ark and the mercy seat all pointing to Jesus Christ. See, when you create your own temple, when you create your own tabernacle, when you create your own shrine, you're leaving Jesus out of the equation. The ark was a picture of the work of the Calvary where the shed blood was sprinkled on the mercy seat covering the law. What happened when they removed the mercy seat and looked directly at the law? They were struck down dead. Why? Because the law reveals our sin, and that's why we need mercy to be forgiven. Amen? But they remove all of that, and we're coming to God our own way. We're creating our own path. We're creating a new religion. Boy, this would go over real well in Santa Cruz, I think. Amen? Where did all these ideas come from? This is from Micah, not from God. This is man-originated, a man-centered religion. And the purpose of the beautiful ephod and attractive idols and the establishing of a priesthood was to please man and not God. The pattern of a man-pleasing religion is common in many churches today, coming to his own God in his own way. I was talking to somebody just recently and talking about their where they stood with the Lord and they said, well, I just don't believe in church and kind of come to God in my own way. Guys, you don't have a way. Amen. He is the way. You can't come to the father apart from the son. And when you tell people that they think it's really narrow. Guess what? The truth is narrow. Amen. Narrow is the road. To the world, one God is as good as another as long as you believe in something. I've had people tell me, well, Dave, you ought to take so-and-so to church because she really needs something. I think it would be good for her if you got her to go to church with you because she needs something. Guess what? So do you. Amen? They don't need something. We need someone, and His name is Jesus. And too often, we're just thinking anything as long as you believe it with all sincerity. The moral relative world we live in today is really messed up. As long as you believe with your whole heart, if you believe with your whole heart that there is no gravity and you step off a building, you know what happens to you? You hit the ground. Amen. Splat. I don't believe in gravity, so I'm just guys. It, your belief is irrelevant. Gravity is a law, and guess what? It will have a great impact upon you. And so, the Word of God, it's the truth. Whether you believe it or not, and it's going to have an impact on you. Amen? So attributes of an ungodly society. Look no further than Micah and his family. He didn't honor his mother. He stole from her. He lied about it initially. And then... He coveted the silver and took it, broke the first two commandments to have no other gods before me and to make no graven image. He profanes the Lord's name. He's broken seven commandments and hasn't left his house. Micah. How is this possible that this man could think he was pleasing God? Here's why. Next point. Attributes of an ungodly society, a lack of godly fear and respect for the word of God. Guys, if there is no authority, then... Everything's relevant. Everything's relative. Whatever you decide is good for you. Well, guys, there is an authority, and praise God for that. Verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Guys, here's the truth about that verse. There was no king in Israel because Israel had rejected the one who was their king because they had a king. And his name's God. Amen? Jehovah. They had a king. And as we're going to see you know, later, you get to 1 Samuel, and they cry out for a king. They want a tangible king they can look at. And he tells them, you know what, you have a king. If you cry out for a king, I'm going to give you one. But he's going to put you in bondage. He's going to enslave your people. He's going to bring you great harm. And before it's over, you're going to cry out for his removal. And they said, give us a king anyway. And that's how they got King Saul. There was no king in Israel because Israel had rejected their king. So when there's no king, there's no authority. There's no standard for holiness. And again, everybody decides what's right the bible tells us that man's heart is evil above all things amen so left to your own will guess what's going to happen evil but i'm a good guy no you're not i'm kind of good not even close there's only one who is good amen we see that in the scriptures Popular opinion is nothing more than the cumulative thoughts of wicked people. Popular opinion says, the cumulative thoughts of wicked people say, who cares? Amen? Popular opinion is irrelevant. What does the Word of God say? Everyone doing what is right in his own eyes. Modern society thinks this is the thing we should be striving for. Everyone doing what is right in their own eyes how wonderful that would be but the bible says in proverbs there is a way that seems right to man but in the end it is the way of death when a man follows his own instincts his own inclinations it leads to ruin we need to follow god's way never our own the bible tells us that the fear of god is the beginning of wisdom there's no godly fear and that's why there's so much difficulty and strifes and trial you know When I talk to people at work, again, most of you don't have a full-time job, they'll often say, how can a loving God allow this to happen? It's not the loving God's fault, it's the ungodly people living outside of His will, carrying out their will that brings about this result. Amen? If it weren't for a loving God, it would be a lot worse. There's no knowledge of God, no fear of God, which means there's no wisdom. God's Word was the foundation for this country. It's what made it great. I heard it said many years ago, someone was sent to America to find out why America was great, and the quote came back, America is great because America is godly. America will cease to be great when America ceases to be godly. Guys, the word of God is under attack today, and we're the ones who need to stand up for it. Amen? Amen. We need to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Never self-righteous, never arrogant, but absolutely bold to proclaim the truth. The collective immorality of spiritually bankrupt and sinful man is usurping the authority of God's Word where we live today. And while we need to pray and be proactive in sharing God's Word, the one place it should be and can be magnified is in our homes and in our churches. Amen? And I think nothing grieves God more than to see those who call His name walk away from His Word. Those who call His name be ashamed to proclaim the truth of the gospel. Attributes of an ungodly society. Ungodly men and women attempting to legitimize their beliefs and behavior. Look at verse 7. Now there was a young man from Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah. He was a Levite and was staying there. Levite means joined to God. The Levites were the priestly tribe. Now while all priests were Levites, not all Levites were priests. They must be descendants of Aaron. So all the Levites did help out in priestly service. The Levites had no inheritance within the land of promise. There were 40 cities scattered throughout Canaan, set aside for the Levites so they could spread out and do ministry. Bethlehem was not one of them. So this man of the Levitical tribe was out on his own, had no authority. Verse 8. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem in Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. I don't see... God leading this man anywhere. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. And Micah said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I am a Levite from Bethlehem Bethlehem in Judah, and I am on my way to find a place to stay. Now, he's a man of the priestly tribe from Bethlehem, but guys, it's not good enough to find a man from Bethlehem. It's got to be the man from Bethlehem. Amen? It's not good enough to find a man who has, you know, a priest. We need the great high priest. And here we have a false substitute. This man has abandoned God's calling and he's out looking for a gig. No direction from God. Seeking a place, not seeking God's will. He's a priest for hire. Doing what's right in his own eyes. A hireling like pastors today who will do whatever it takes to please men, to draw a crowd, to gain a paycheck. Compromise calling for cash. You think that that's laughable. It's a fact. You know, it's interesting. Micahs are always going to find men like this. Micahs who want to serve God their own way If they're willing to pay or they're willing to seek hard enough, they'll always find somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. I don't like that church. Why? They kind of condemn my lifestyle. I don't like that. I'm going to go somewhere else where I can feel more comfortable in my sin. I pray no one's ever comfortable in their sin inside these four walls. Amen? And and me too we ever get comfortable in our sin, something is very, very wrong. In the last days, men will raise up for themselves, ear ticklers. Men will tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear. And you know what? We see a lot of them on TV today, and they're drawing really big crowds. But drawing a crowd is irrelevant. God's called us not to draw a crowd, but to make disciples. How do you make disciples? You equip the saints for the work of the ministry. How do you do that? You teach the whole counsel of God. Nothing less than a whole Bible will make a whole Christian. Amen? That's why we teach it all. Even Leviticus. Amen? Verse 10. Micah said to him, dwell with me and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year and a suit of clothes for your sustenance. So the Levite went in. He sold out his calling for ten shekels and a shirt. How tragic is that? He was called of God to ministry. He was a teacher of the law to the people. He had led people, no doubt, in praise and worship. And here we see Micah saying, if I can get him to serve as priest in my shrine, then, man, it's going to be completely legit. It's like those who try to, again, make their ungodly behavior by passing a law or finding a church to sanctify it. Guys, abortion is sin no matter how many churches say it's okay. Sex outside of marriage is wrong no matter how many people vote to pass a law or, or vote to say it's okay. It's okay homosexuality is sin no matter how many states began to recognize it. It's not what the states say, it's not what men say, what does God say? It's the word of God that's the authority, amen? And if you've got enough money and you've got enough time, you'll find someone to condone your behavior to make you feel more comfortable on your way to being separated from Almighty God for all eternity. Lord, help us not to compromise that way. Now, I want to say this if you're here today. If you've had an abortion, he's a forgiving God. If you've had sex outside of marriage, he's a God of love and grace and mercy. If you've been involved in a homosexual lifestyle, our God will forgive you and transform your life. Amen? That's the God we serve. Let's not try to condone our behavior. Let's get right with God. Let's walk away from that behavior because it's only going to bring us harm. Lord, help us not to be caught up in the opinions of men or the approval of the world, but instead to seek only after walking in the center of His will. All sin, not as a burden upon you, but out of God's love for you to deliver you from harm. You know what? Our God is willing to take your sin upon himself. You may be here this morning say, I've blown, I've been far away. Guess what? One step, he's right there. Arms open wide. Come unto me all you labor and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The only place we're going to get rest, the only place we're going to have peace is knowing the Prince of Peace. He's the one who loves you. But the Levite went in sold out his calling and his walk with God to serve as a priest in a shrine of idolatry for 10 shekels and a shirt. Last point, attributes of an ungodly society, spiritual leaders called by men, not by God. Again, hirelings motivated by physical comfort and recognition and temporal perspective, not an eternal one. Look at verse 11. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content in the midst of ungodliness is great sorrow. Amen? I pray if you are here this morning and you are walking in rebellion, that you will be the most discontented, heartbroken, burdened person in here. Amen? Why? Because when we are outside of God's will, we need conviction that we might get back to where we belong. He does it because He loves us. Here this Levite is working in a shrine in a guy's house with false gods for 10 shekels and a shirt. You think he got to heaven and thought that was a good deal? Think he said, hey, I'm really glad I did that. Hireling. You know what's even more shocking? Later on you find out that this guy is the grandson of Moses. How quickly, two generations... He goes from being the one who God had used mightily up on Mount Sinai, the one who was standing for God when, very, when almost nobody else was, and two generations later, he's selling out and becoming a priest in a shrine to false gods. That quick. Lord, help us. Guys, God has no grandchildren, amen? Just because your dad or your mom or your grandparents love God and are walking with God, you need to get right with God yourselves. Moses had broken the first set of tablets when he saw God's people worshiping a golden calf and now his own grandson has become priest in a shrine filled with idols. Wow. Amazing. Verse 12. So Micah consecrated the Levite. Consecrate means to set apart for holy use. He ordained the guy, consecrated the guy, set him apart to serve before the false idols in his house. That means absolutely nothing. Only God can truly consecrate a man or a woman. Amen? Jonathan's and Michael's, these men will always find each other. Why? Because one is looking for a gig and one is looking for somebody to tell him what he wants to hear and to sanctify his ungodly behavior as being okay. Why do people jam their ungodly behavior? Why do they attack the church when they want to justify the way that they live because they feel like it will legitimize their lifestyle. Guys, the only legitimacy comes from walking with the Lord. There will always be those seeking to satisfy self, no matter if it contradicts what God has said. There will always be those who will teach this, these lies to others. Why? Because they need each other. But Paul said this, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. That's the people we need standing behind the pulpits in America today. Amen? Verse 13, Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since I have a Levite as a priest. How foolish is that statement? I've set up false worship to false gods in a false place, and yet I think I'm pleasing to God. How is this possible? Because he's operating according to his own wisdom instead of the word of God. You know, it's been popularized in movies. I don't know how totally accurate it is. But it's like the mobster who goes out and kills 57 people but stops by confession on the way home. You know, I'm legitimizing my ungodly behavior by sitting in a box and telling a guy what I just did. Guys, if you've been saved, you're going to change. There's going to be a transformation. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and all things have become new. My prayer is that we would look less and less like the world and more and more like the Lord. Amen? My prayer is that we... By the grace of God and the power of his Holy Spirit would turn this county right side up because it needs Jesus, amen? And we're not going to do it by becoming more like the world. We're not going to do it by telling people what they want to hear or what they need to hear. We're not going to do it by making it as comfortable as possible. How is it going to happen? People were not drawn to Jesus because his message was milk toast. Look at the people God used mightily. John the Baptist. How was that guy? Was he kind of mamby-pamby? Kind of, you know. Well, you guys might want to maybe think about possibly at some point in the future, consider. <laughs> Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ooh, that doesn't preach very well on TV, though. I, no, I'll get no donations from that. <laughs> guys, we shouldn't be looking for donations, but salvations, Amen. Amen. So attributes of an ungodly society, parents unwilling to exert godly discipline, parents unwilling to take spiritual headship, people wanting to worship God in their own way, a lack of godly fear and respect for his word, Ungodly men and women attempting attempting to legitimize their belief and behavior. And finally, spiritual leaders who are are called by men, not by God. Hirelings motivated by physical comfort and recognition, not spiritual truth. Those who have a temporal perspective, not an eternal one. Guys, I said it during the message it's not us trying harder, it's not us doing better. You know what it is? It's us dying to ourselves every single day and being filled with His Spirit. The only way that we can walk and live a victorious Christian life, the only way that we can go out and impact the world around us is if there's less of us and more of Him. If we simply become a conduit through whom His Holy Spirit speaks. Guys, let's stop trying and start dying. Amen? And becoming desperate waking up every morning and saying, Lord, without you, I can do absolutely nothing. But I know today, filled with your Holy Spirit, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, let me be a tool in in the hand of my master today. Lord, use me in a mighty way. Bring divine appointments today. Lord, I want to see your kingdom added to. I want to see you glorified. Stir up the gifts within me. Let me not be ashamed of you today. Lord, help me to be the man, the woman of God that you've called me to be. God will answer that prayer. Let's pray it more. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you and worship your most holy name. And that is our prayer this morning. We come before you humble and broken. Lord, I pray we would no longer strive in the flesh, but we would rest in your spirit. Lord, that we would no longer seek to have things our way, but Lord, instead to follow your way. Lord, we would no longer cry out to you to get our will done on earth or our will done in heaven, but Lord, for you to bring your will down upon us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, that you'd open their eyes today to the truth of who you are, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray if there are those of us who are here this morning who have not been walking in the center of your will, who've been battling with you, who've been trying to follow a God of our own creation, Lord, I pray we would move away from a lukewarm walk to being sold out and set apart for you. Lord, humble and broken, dying to ourselves every single day. Lord, we thank you and praise you that no matter what's in our past, that you're a God who redeems it. You're a God who restores us. Lord, again, if there's anyone here this morning feeling condemned, Lord, may they come to you this morning because there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No longer condemned, but comforted by your spirit. So Lord, just stir us up. Use us for your kingdom. May we be tools in the hands of our master, living lives that impact your world for eternity. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name, we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's stand and close a worship song.